pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Keith, I'm about to tell you the story of how I met you. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> trying to come up with a little clever way to tie in our intro with the intro to the show we're discussing today, How I Met Your Mother. Doesn't always work, but here we are. It was cute. I, it was charming. Uh, do you do you know the story of how your parents met? Uh, Rutgers. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, my parents. My dad was a junior or senior. I, I want to say junior. My mom was a freshman, and yeah, it was really kind of like at like a party or something like that. I I think so. so college I mean, sweethearts. Oh yeah, they've been together fifty three years this uh this year wow okay so being college sweethearts are kind of similar to marshall and lily maybe from today's episode also college sweethearts there you know there's a lot of that actually uh and uh i don't think they went through the exact same troubles that marshall and lily would go through but you know every a marriage at 50 years i think anyone would tell you has it's like really highs and Low, some low lows anyone would tell you it's completely smooth sailing for 50 yeah. straight years not a He's single lying. yeah not a single uh storm in the way not a single bump in the road uh my parents met while they were working at the Secaucus hospital my oh. mother was an administrator i believe and then my dad was working security and i funny enough that is the same hospital that both me and my sister would be born in years later not even full circle that just like it's like a full square like it just kind of really works yeah that's um a circle of life maybe you could say yeah, <laughs> <Not> basically <actually. laughs> um whatever you want to call it but yeah i guess this kind of show is i think very nostalgic for a lot of people and maybe get some thinking about those kinds of stories and maybe the kind of ways they'll tell their kids about how you know the their parents came came to be that kind of thing uh i i this is my first time watching this show personally but i do know really that, yeah it is it is and i do understand a lot of people have a very strong emotional ties to this and i have a few theories as to why but uh you had watched this when this was originally running correct I I will always thank Britney Spears for getting me into it because Britney Spears at the time was going through like it was you know she was really big in the news she was having a public breakdown and I think her rise was part of her rise was guest starring uh, on How I Met Your Mother and I was a sophomore in college and I was curious to check it out and lo and behold the episode was funny. I like she wasn't like a big part in it, but I just I I was like, I recognize Jason Siegel kind of 
from forgetting Sarah Marshall, not even Freaks and Geeks, but I right, right. I, I didn't even yeah, I didn't know Allison Hannigan at the time, but I just thought the writing was really funny. So I did what you know, we didn't really have streaming back then. I bought season one and two DVDs uh, because oh, that was nice. around season three with Britney guest starred. And I really fell in love with it, especially like I stuck with it. I I suck. It was, you know, we'll say that the show aired on a Monday. I I looked forward to Mondays. Uh, nice. That's that's great. I mean, that's um, kind of the idea I feel like behind some of these shows just getting people through their weeks they have some great entertainment to look forward to at the end of the day exactly and yeah but one of the other theories they have for why this show meant a lot to people is um i believe this was kind of like a replacement for friends in a lot of people's minds because friends finishes its run in 2004 this show premieres in 2005 and uh, I almost even think that the Ted character reminds me a lot of Ross in terms of his uh, hopeless romantic ideals and even some of the ways that he reiterates some of his points, right? Like in this episode, he keeps going on about like, it was not the signal. It was not the signal. And to me, that kind of reminds me and friends of Ross going, we were on a break. We were on a break. You know, like I. I think you could maybe draw parallels. And again, this is just from someone who's watched very little of either show, but I was already picking up on similar patterns. But tell me if I'm totally off base. Uh, no, I'm it, like it, to use like biblical terms. Friends begat uh, how I met your mother. I definitely think one. Uh, the writers definitely love friends, uh, but I would say the slight difference it's not a carbon copy. I would never say it's a carbon copy of it's just friends in New York, but like there's so much similar appeal, I would say. Yes, exactly. And because the cast has really good chemistry with every like they like when they laugh on screen, they're really laughing. Okay, yeah. I, I like that a lot. I mean, even from this first episode, I can tell that these actors are you know, getting along really well. And they do seem like a genuine group of friends. It doesn't seem like something where they had just met each other and they're you know pretending it seems like yeah you know, there's obviously um a history between especially the main three characters ted lily and marshall and uh, it comes across as really realized like a really lived in long friendship yeah no and i hey the, they were together for nine years and just you know they really kind of got to see their careers blow up, but there was just always something about that cast chemistry and, and having really kind of grown with this show rather than not really watching friends. I can kind of, if someone were to say that's exactly what happens with friends, cause I think we've said in the first, in our friends episode, they had great chemistry right away. Uh, like it's, it's right there in the beginning. Yeah. That's, uh, not a very easy thing to do from the starting line. Uh, and you know, the other thing too is you know, we've been we've been discussing 2000 sitcoms that were doing newer kinds of formats. And here in How I Met Your Mother, this is still for the most part a familiar format. It it's shot in some ways like a traditional live studio audience sitcom in terms of some of the sets, but it's edited in a way that is 
more in line with its contemporaries like um, a 30 Rock or an Arrested Development where you get a lot of cutscenes, quick flashbacks. There's definitely, they're utilizing editing in a way, as, but it's almost like a hybrid show, I would say, where you have elements of both new and traditional comedies. I think that's why it succeeded so well. It's something that... Uh... Well, I, you know, it was on. It aired on CBS, which didn't really cater to this demographic before, uh, and this was like its first foray into like it's trying to tap into that NBC young, not young adult, but that like twenty five to fifty four. But it's using yeah that old medium of like sitcoms, but the the structure. That's why people like you could. A whole episode could take place at the bar and everyone's just kind of telling stories and your uh, use of flashback and uh, that Ted is, uh, quote unquote, an unreliable narrator. Like he could be like, wait a minute, I totally forgot this element of the story. Let me go back. Like it's it's all played for jokes, but you could do. I'm surprised this has never. It took until like 2005 for us to play with the format of sitcom structure. Yeah, I think that the use of narration is another element that reminds me of these other 2000 sitcoms we've been doing, although this is, again, more of like the unreliable narrator, like you mentioned. And they, it, it's like uh, interesting in that the narrator, it's the same character as the main character, but like they feel like they're almost different because of the age difference and one reflecting on his past and the other one, the other version of the character living in it. Uh, so I find that kind of interesting. You see almost like two versions of the same character within the show. Uh, but I think that for CBS, it is an interesting home for this show because also the humor can be a little quirky at times. And you know, CBS, I believe traditionally, has always been the oldest skewing network in terms of its median audience. And for them to have a show about 20-something-year-olds for the humor to be a little offbeat at times, I think especially with the Marshall character, I think Jason Siegel gives some really unexpected moments, as even in this first episode, that, um, you know, I, I, I want to say that it was not the kind of delivery that you'd be used to seeing. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the, the, the personality of the show is interesting for this network basically oh, it's completely it's, I, you would you, if you didn't know any better you would have thought it was an nbc show or um i don't know maybe like even a wb show or something it just has like a very uh you know very young attitude and you can tell that they're willing to maybe take some comedic risks no i like you can see like i guess somebody at nbc was like well we can't rely on chuck lorry for uh, and, uh cbs so we can't rely on chuck lorry forever so they decided to, like, I I wouldn't be surprised if they went to uh, NBC with this. Uh, but yeah, no, it's I'm I I'm already hooked again. I said to myself, do not get hooked into this show. I'm already on season three. I just watch it towards the end of the night, and I'm I got sucked in by the charm again. But you haven't Barney. Barney is a character. Is such a goof. Yeah, he's another one that I feel like you normally wouldn't have seen him on a CBS sitcom prior to this. And, um, you know, I, it's just a good success story, basically, 
for all involved. Um, so I, a little history, though. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting into the meat of the story here a little bit of uh, you know the casting of this show and whatnot. So let's just take it from the beginning, Keith. Let's get a little history here behind the How I Met Your Mother pilot. All right. So the pilot aired on September 19th, 2005. And like I said, it was a Monday. And it uh, had a... a 10.9 million people watched this, which is pretty impressive. And I think it always kind of maintained more or less. It was definitely one of its higher rated comedies throughout. Yeah, I think that's a really good viewership for a first episode in the mid 2000s. Yes. And it, the show was created by Carter Bays and Craig Thomas, who used to write for Letterman. And a lot. This is basically. They took our lives and we put it right up on screen. Ted is based off of Bayes and uh, Craig Thomas is based off Marshall and his wife who met in college. And just uh, the time they I think uh, the bar is based off like five bars they used to go to after writing for Letterman. Uh, but yeah, but it's like growing up in New York and. I like I like this little uh, tidbit. I found out that uh, Thomas's wife only agreed to let a character be based on her if Allison Hannigan was cast to play her. She must have been a Buffy fan to specifically want Allison Hannigan to be her, basically the actress who would play her. That's fun, and also kind of amazing that they would wind up getting that actress to do it. Right? I mean, uh, she might have made that joke in. Or she she might have made that suggestion in jest, and the fact that it actually came to fruition is just really funny and ironic. If I'm not mistaken, I'm still in season four of Buffy. People do not hurt. Like it's I'm trying to watch a lot of other stuff at the moment, but uh, Buffy I think ended around like 2004 as well. So 2003, 2003, I think, yeah. 2004. So yeah, Allison needed some work, and I the. The, this is a great script. This is an excellent pilot. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. We'll, we'll get into yeah. that and we'll see how strong it is. But I think this might be the first time that we're discussing a pilot. Well, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. This is maybe Allison Hannigan is the first actress to appear in two pilots that we've discussed already. Does that make sense? Like we already dis the first time we had a recurring actor in a pilot. Uh, I guess is the way I'm trying to say. Um, you know, we already know her from a yeah. pilot we've discussed prior. However, I can articulate that if that makes sense. Um, so that, that's kind of fine. The more we discuss TV pilots, the more we'll yeah you know, uh, run into an actor we've seen already. And how I feel about Lily is exactly how I feel about her and Buffy. It's uh, it's those yeah. same like you know she has like a secret. She's sassy, but she's like kind of mousy in a way but she has like a little bit of fire in her for yeah she seems like uh maybe like a more confident version of willow that at least the pilot version of willow like this character lily seems to be um a little more comfortable in her shoes if that makes sense so to round out the other members of the cast uh they got Josh Radner and Colby Smulders who were relatively unknown at the time i think the only time i've seen josh radner in any other movie is not another team movie as the tour guide oh okay yeah 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 that <laughs> i didn't even think of that. he has the joke he's like can you believe that everyone in the school is a professional dancer uh okay yeah J yeah now i totally remember that mm -hmm. jason siegel this is before forgetting sarah marshall the only thing that he really had was uh, freaks and geeks and maybe popping up in uh 
Judd Apatow. I think he popped up in Undeclared as well for a little bit. But uh, Barney, I actually, uh, a couple days ago, saw a clip of uh, Neil Patrick Harris. And th this is Neil Patrick Harris before he got his second wind and became Neil Patrick Harris that we know. But uh, Barney had... Er, Neil had no idea. He just went in an audition and he thought he like wasn't going to get it because I think he was in a, like a, a, a low rut because Barney was originally conceived as a John Belushi type. But Neil Patrick Harris came in as this like confident kind of Swayze character. And the only thing that I think Neil Patrick Harris as an adult was in was in uh, Harold and Kumar. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I've heard stories that being in Harold and Kumar helped Neil Patrick Harris win the part of Barney. I didn't read anything that confirmed that. I think that might have been just speculation because, like you said, I think that he was able to get this audition from his relationship with the casting director, and he was able, through his audition, to... Uh, basically retool the character. Because I guess if he was a John Belushi type, this Barney character, he would have been maybe more of a slob, maybe just more of a crude character, right? Maybe more of like a horn dog. And not to say Barney isn't, but Barney has, you know, he's he's suave. He he's really big on suits, right? He's a clean cut guy who, yeah, maybe he's um yeah, maybe he objectifies women a bit. Um oh, but yeah. at the same time, he's not he he's He's smooth, right? He's he's not like um like I'm trying to think of John Belushi's character's name in Animal House, where he's just this sort of like, you know, uh sort of gross character who will like uh throw himself or something. It Barney has um is a is a very different kind of character than that. So it was it was surprising to see what the original idea for the character was. But I always these five actors were perfectly cast, but these characters uh kinda like Marshall would show off his piano playing skills, which Jason was very good at. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, like, uh, you know, song and dance, like he knew how, like he, Neil Patrick Harris is, this was a star making role for him. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Doogie Hauser one day, but kind of the same way with Jason Bateman, there was a giant lull for him. And because of Harold and Kumar, and especially because of How I Met Your Mother, like Neil Patrick Harris is, you know, he came back. Yeah, it, it put him back on the map. It made him an A-list star again, which is really cool. One other thing, though, before he moved on from casting, or at least these main group of actors, I did read that the original choice to play Robin was Jennifer Love Hewitt, who turned down the part. And so it goes to uh, Colby Smothers. Uh, sorry, Colby S Smolders. Uh, but I think it worked out, and even the creators of the show like how the casting eventually went because... Because uh, Kobe was a relatively unknown actor at the time, basically when the Ted character sees Robin for the first time, it's like the audience does too because they haven't seen this actor before. So at, at that, I think, uh, works out pretty well. You, you get more of Ted's perspective that way. I guess it would have been kind of cool to see, oh, like he looks across the bar and sees a Jennifer Love Hewitt type. But I, I think as is, the fact that these are mostly unknown actors and even um Alison Hannigan you know not being like a huge movie star or anything like people recognized her I think that these characters seem more 
relatable in a way. Uh, it, it just is like a more humble cast. And so I think that works to the strength of the show. Oh, yeah, definitely. And to round out, I guess, the unseen narrator, the future Ted, uh, I think Bob Saget is so appropriate. I don't know why. He just has that dad voice and we'll get it like, you know, he is a dad telling the story to his kids. But uh, Pamela Fryman, who directed just about all the episodes, if like if an act outside of any of the ones that like Neil Patrick Harris or another actor wanted to direct, Pamela Fryman's been there from the beginning. But she convinced Saget to do it because uh, it does have a Wonder Years type, you know, the the main character all grown up looking back on his life and just kind of yeah narrating it. Yeah, I think the narration, the tone of Bob Saget's narration is one of, um, I don't know, it's it's a very comforting narration. Even if it is an unreliable narrator, you still get a feeling that everything is going to be all right in the end. And it, it, it gives this nice cozy feel to the show. And uh, I don't think we see it in the, in the pilot. I, we usually don't see, uh, I've noticed, I've noticed this with a lot of, the pilots that we have covered we don't see like the theme song right away because they need to establish the pilot itself because i think uh the opening credits has robin in it and robin at this point was not part of the friend group but the opening credits is you know you once you hear it you know uh you kind of sing along to it but it's sung by the same band that bays and thomas are members of the solids oh so they were tv writers tv creators and in a rock band I have no idea the the reach of this band, but I would say like it's something maybe they did at like you know open mic night or something like that. Yeah, don't be wrong. I'm not saying that they were. It was of equal distribution their their time and effort, but uh, yeah, that's. I don't know any other show where the theme song uh, is performed by the same people who created the show and wrote the show. That, that's very uncommon. Yeah. And even the name of their band, the solids, I, I, I feel like that comes from the expression, like I'll do you a solid or something that it's uh, something of the time. But yeah, no, it's I'm looking back on it. It's like, wow. Like it's, it really did come together. And I'm when I'm trying to think of Jennifer love Hewitt would have been, I'm sure she would have been fine as Robin, but Kobe Smulders is very beautiful. But she, she's more than beautiful. She's funny. Robin is a character. Robin has her own storylines going forward. It's she, like uh, Colby is Robin. Like so, I'm very biased a little bit. <laughs> she she seems like I don't want to say like an it girl, but she I think Robin. My first impression of her is a character who like obviously exudes a lot of beauty, but also has this sort of like unexpected eccentric side to her, as we'll see in, you know, when, when Ted gets to know her and all the boxes she checks off for him in terms of the things that he looks for in a girl, there's just, um, or even the way that she, the way she reacts to his quirkiness. I, I think there's a, um, yeah, there's a lot of surprises with this character that you normally don't see in, such like a, I don't know, like almost like an elegant character or something. That it, it the the mix of of those two elements are um, hard to balance, but they do it. Yeah, th- I think that's exactly kind of like this show. Um, 
you know, last week we covered 30 Rock, and that's a show that really didn't really strive for emotional moments. But this show really takes you there emotionally. Like, you're because we're rooting for Tet. Like, we're like, well, you know, it's it's not just um, a farce. Like, 30 Rock a lot of times could feel very farcical. This show feels like a romantic comedy but in a TV format instead of what you normally get as a film format. So I think that is another reason why I think, I think a lot of shows that strive for the romantic element, you know, you're going to have dramatic moments. I think that just comes with the territory because the emotional stakes are so much higher. And it does a good job at, uh, because this is all like told in flashback, it does a good job at just teasing you like, Oh, your mother was just around the corner or, and I don't want to spoil too much because it is a journey where even Despite the finale, it is a journey worth taking. Okay. I mean, I did remember hearing that people weren't crazy about the finale. Oh, no, they weren't. But, you know, (laughs) nine years of buildup into meeting the mother, that's that's a lot of anticipation. And I'm sure that it would be – you'd be hard-pressed as a writer to find something that would really satisfy people, uh, you know, across your whole – big range of fans it's it's Uh, it's tough as a writer from a writing perspective and again i haven't seen the whole show yeah i'm just saying like even from the title how i met your mother you know it i i would like to think too that they maybe had a general idea of where the story would go but maybe you know nine seasons as well that's a long run i'll tell you this that's exactly because i've been thinking about the finale uh they had some idea of where the show could go, and that's exactly why the finale uh, did not work for mo- a, a majority of people. Even me. I'm starting uh, – w- when I rewatched it during the pandemic, it was another p- pandemic watch, I I softened up on the finale, and now I'm – I do think – we could talk about it in, like, the retrospective, but I know why – really why people hate it, and I don't think it – I'm still enjoying the show. I don't think I'm thinking about the finale when the show hits, but they, I'll say this, around like season one or two, they recorded the finale uh, because they wanted to keep the kids at that age. Oh, okay. So they they knew what was going to happen. And I think when you have that in mind, so much over nine seasons happens organically. Like, yeah. uh, Because the mom was always like a, a, Oh, they introduced the mom and played by the brilliant Christine Milioti. Like Tracy became a really good character. In fact, some of the best moments in the latter, the ninth season were because of her. The, uh, the cracks start to show around season six and kind of the same way with The Office should, uh, should have ended around like season seven. But uh, Tracy was such a highlight that you built this mom up and but you already had this ending in mind that the uh i think i'll I'll speak for the how i met your mother fans like it completely because you had this ending you have characters just growing organically into different people but you had the you had the roadmap you can't steer away from the roadmap yeah that's that's and they and they kind of anything that they built up they kind of kicked it down in in minutes it was kind of shocking in the finale well it's it's so tough because this is one of those shows where by virtue of the title and the concept 
the end is meeting the mother, right? Like that is the end. So many other shows, you know, it, you can go whatever direction you want because you just, you begin with your starting point and your beginning setup and then take it from there. Here, you really have to get to, you know, you already know what Z is, right? You're going from A to Z and you already know what that ending point is. And it's, it's tough, especially with the TV business. You don't know how many seasons you're going to have to get to that end point. Like you said, and when you last that long, you're going to go in directions maybe you didn't really anticipate because of the process. Uh, so it's tough. I mean, maybe they anticipated getting there in like four or five seasons. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, we got to keep this going. So you, you can't you can't get to Z yet. Like insert some more letters in there. Insert some more some more, you know, like you have to take a longer path than you initially anticipate. And so, uh, you know, you go off course and then it then becomes hard to steer the ship back towards where you initially intended. So, yeah, I'm, it's it's not easy. And finales in general. I mean, like how many shows can we say we love the show, didn't like the finale? It's hard. Endings are hard. I fully understand that. Uh, and yeah, like it, there is lessons to be learned. I don't think the finale. There are some people out there that says the finale completely ruins the show for me. I will go on record saying a finale never, not even Game of Thrones ruins like the show for me because I do remember the good times I've had watching the show. Like the, the maybe getting who I've watched certain episodes with or who I brought along or the laugh, the, most importantly, the laughs and the emotions I've had with this show. So I can, I think that uh, like finale in this case, I can look at it and see what went wrong and what maybe went right. But I will never allow a show to be completely like one episode to completely ruin something for me because I know TV making storytelling on this level is hard. I totally agree. I even have like a bad last couple of seasons. I will still say, well, you had the good seasons and yeah, you can always go back to those. Uh, and I think the other hard thing, too, is when you have so many fans, I mean, think about the pressure. Oh, yeah. Of coming up with a satisfying ending and you have all these people waiting and waiting. What's it going to be? You know, it's there's there's a lot of pressure there to deliver. And so, um, you know, you you have to um, always I think uh, if, if you might not have liked the direction a show went. Yeah, that's that's fine. As, as a fan, you have the right to that opinion. But like, I agree with what you're saying. You shouldn't let it deter you from revisiting the parts of the show that you did really like and have fond memories of no like but, take take it from me it's just like i i said to myself when i was uh watching the pilot for this i'm like don't get sucked into this you have so much other stuff to watch it's too late you're it, gonna rewatch I'm it i'm already on season three like it's just it's that charming and it does fill me with i don't know if it's nostalgia it's just i do like there's some very clever storytelling on this but we'll we'll talk like I think this pilot does have that effect, and we'll get into it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, we've covered basically everything except the first episode. So <laughs> uh, I think it's time. Uh, so the stage is set. It is now September 19th, 2005. We've turned on CBS. And without further ado, Keith, please take us to the pilot. Flight 527, runway 8 Kilo, you're cleared for takeoff. So the year is 2030, 
uh, and Ted Mosby, voiced by Bob Saget, is telling the story to his uh, son and daughter, the story of how I met your mother. And then and the, the reactions, like, oh, man, are we being punished? Like, do we have yeah. to do this? And is this li- going to take long? Yeah, yes. li- little do they know it's going to be re- dad's going to go off on some really weird stories. But it's it, going to take like, I don't know, 300 episodes or <laughs> or whatever, it, however many episodes like, it was. Years. Um, but we that's when we kind of get some quick exposition 25 years ago to 2005, <laughs> which is about like. I was about to say, is it a it's little getting distressing? Close to twenty, it's like eighteen years ago. <laughs> is it a little distressing to fans of this show that we're now closer to the the flash forwards than we are to the flashbacks of How I Met Your Mother? And in terms of time, we're only seven years away from when uh, you know Ted is supposedly telling his kids the story. Any fan of How I Met Your Mother right now is going, "Oh my god," uh, because they're it's it's hitting them. But you know, in pictures, we get a. Uh, we get to meet Tez, Ted Mosby. He's 27. He's an architect. And he is roommates with his best friend from college, Marshall, who's been together with his girlfriend, Lily, since freshman year. And tonight's the night they're going to propose. And, you know, it kind of looks like, will you marry me? And Ted's like, it looks like he's proposing to Ted. And Ted's like, uh, it's going to work. This is it's wonderful. It's that, uh, that old gag where, you know, he's practicing the proposal, but you don't know that at first, right? Jason Siegel, he's on his knees. Um, he's proposing supposedly. And it's like, oh, no, like, you know, the other angle, it's just Ted. It's, it's practice. It's like that old gag when yeah. someone is practicing a speech in front of a mirror, but you don't realize yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Marshall's nervous. Ted's saying it's going to be fine. Just make like make sure that like you have the like I'll leave the apartment alone for you guys because I don't want to be there. Uh, so he calls Uncle Barney, aka uh, like you know Barney Stinson, and Barney tells him to suit up. That's one of the first of many catchphrases. I'm surprised there were so many layered throughout this pilot, but suit up. Uh, Barney's that guy who always wears a wears a suit. Which is not easy to do. I mean, wearing suits, I, I never wear suits only because, one, I only have a few suits. They're expensive, and you have to dry clean them after every time. I mean, this guy really has dedication to looking sharp, which I can respect, but I definitely am way too lazy to keep that up. And when and whenever people ask, like, Barney, Barney has, like, a corporate job. He's like, what do you do? <laughs> Please. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there's like um, – some like mystery behind the character too, which I think adds to his allure. Also, Barney's been like, you know, he's a, a aficionado of being a horn dog, and he's right now he's into Lebanese girls. I think. Yeah, uh, I think that he might used to play be in, into half Asian girls. He's according to him, and then now he's into Lebanese girls, which is like actually his first line. It's an interesting way to introduce this character. But we're starting to get like a sense of like when the like split screen, like uh, yeah. we're starting to get a sense of like this isn't a real, your typical sitcom. Also, I don't, I forgot, you know, there was no uh, audience for this. Right, right. I, I was about to say there is a laugh track, but watching the show, you know that it's impossible for there, for there to be a live studio audience because so many of the jokes are delivered through the editing. That there, there'd be no way. So that's actually a little beef I have is that 
in this sort of hybrid sitcom format, they are keeping one of the older elements they're keeping, one of the traditional elements is the laugh track, which I don't think they need at all. Uh, I don't know. That, that to me, it, I think, holds them back. But uh, I don't know. As someone who watched the show, I, I'm sure you didn't mind or it's just something you get used to. In the first couple of episodes, they whoever edited with the laugh track, it was very uh, noticeable and jarring. I would say that's probably one of the, like, the slight criticisms I've had of the pilot. But I would say definitely by the end of season one, season two and going forward they it flows it works it just they have the they know what they're doing with the laugh track but yeah in the beginning it's kind of but like noticeably jarring i i guess because of the format uh because of this uh uh, multi-cam sitcom but i guess that's part of keeping in what seems like the traditional sitcom format Right, I, I think viewers who maybe don't know any better, they probably thought somehow there was a, a, a live studio audience or something. I, I don't know, or maybe that's just part of the feel. It is, like I said, a very warm, cozy show, and maybe that's just part in keeping of that element. Like, you know, this is like in the line of a Friends or a Cheers or something, these romantic sitcoms, and that's just an element of it that they decided to keep. I, I'm sure if I watched it, I, it would be something I don't even notice after a while. Exactly. But uh, after watching four pilots of shows that did not have laugh tracks, it's right? Noticeable. In the context that we are observing <laughs> this, it, it does stand out a bit more, but that's obviously not the show's problem. I would say, like, just to end, like, it, with some of the show's outrageous moments, it kind of... I feel like a laugh track is just needed at the end just because like like something outrageous would happen. And, you know, you do have that moment or two of silence that without a laugh track might be a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you need sometimes, I guess, uh, a moment to take, uh, you know, a, a big comedic set piece in yeah, as a as a person watching it from home. Uh, but I don't know. Do you ever watch some of these uh, edits on YouTube of a sitcom with the laugh track edited out? I think they've done that to like, you know, Big Bang Theory or something. And that is. And the characters are just meaner. They're just like. To each other. But then they're just also uh, standing there in silence for like a few moments between every sentence. It's very surreal. I see what this is about. Have you forgotten what I said to you the night we met? Ted! I'm gonna teach you how to live. Barney, we met at the urinal. Oh, right, right. Lesson one, lose the goatee. It doesn't go with your suit. I'm not wearing a suit. Lesson two, get a suit. Suits are cool, exhibit A. Lesson three, don't even think about getting married till you're 30. 30, right, you're right. I guess it's just your best friend gets engaged, you start thinking about that stuff. I thought I was your best friend. So Ted meets Barney at the bar and, you know, Ted doesn't suit up like he wore a blazer, but it's a blazer. Uh, And uh, we kind of get a brief flashback to, you know, uh, Ted is like, oh, my God, you know, uh, Lillian Marshall engaged, uh, getting engaged is just making him think about marriage and proposing him. That's when we get a, a flashback to how. Kind of how Ted and Barney, uh, Ted and Barney first met, and it really seems like Ted was at a table at McLaren's, and Barney just it like slid in. And it's like Ted, let me give you some advice. 
Who are you? Oh, I'm the guy you met in the bathroom. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. You don't know what Barney does for a living. And also, he seems to be a character that just jumps into the life of of Ted and in the lives of his friends. He just inserts himself into this friendship group after seemingly coming out of nowhere. <laughs> so, if anything, I'm most curious to watch the show just to see more of to learn more about Barney. Oh yeah. Because uh again, like he's just a character who like almost forced himself into the show. And uh I that that's um I don't know. I get a kick out of that. There's like almost like no reason really for him to he has you know, like there's no conceit really. Uh he has no like connection except for just wanting to be friends with them. Uh so that that's fine. Like what was his life before he met Ted in the urinal? I I, I don't know. Oh my god. See, you have a lot to get. Like Barney has a lot of layers surprisingly. But yeah, that's a, as as crazy whenever a character gets a little too crazy or there the dynamic in the group is they're always making jokes, they're always keeping each other humble, they're always uh like keeping each other everyone's on like a different uh like way of going about a situation that it just it's keeps the dialogue it keeps everything fresh but like whenever a character would get like have a insane idea you know one's for it one's you know you have like the argument laid out in front of you but yeah barney as crazy as barney is he does have some i'll tell you this his brother is wayne brady that I actually think I I did know. Uh, I, I and it's great. Yeah, I, and you know what? I think that Barney's not necessarily a foil to Ted, but I do like the contrast in their perspectives towards relationships. Being that Barney obviously is the guy more into one night stands, he's not really into commitment, and then Ted is the opposite. He pines for you know meeting the one and he, he he fantasizes about his eventual wedding so you know not not necessarily enemies but you know it's a good good contrast like we've seen in other sitcoms you like to have um you know opposite opinions of things just to keep the dynamic fresh but barney is kind of the best wingman that you have and it's shown when, yeah hey ted you can't be thinking about this now especially now you need to you know you need to meet a girl right now and just sleep with her and then he, t he taps a girl on the shoulder and we got our second catchphrase have you met ted it works so well and it's so simple of a way to hook your friend up it's just as easy as oh have you met my friend bye <laughs> and then there you go and uh, of course the woman's name is yasmin and she's lebanese <laughs> yeah there's uh there's the payoff for that as well i i also like that barney is super confident and obviously ted has uh a little bit of a confidence issue. So, um, you know, another good contrast between the two characters. It's nice of Barney to help his friend out so much. You know, the next scene, we kind of get a, you know, Lily comes home and she's a kindergarten teacher and, you know, it was shown by like a kid. It was paint day and a kid tried to grab a cop of feel, basically. Big handprint there on the, on the boob. But yeah, they're the simple, like that late 20s. She's a kindergarten teacher. He's in his second year of law school. And, uh, you know, uh, Marshall is just – you can tell he's nervous. Like, it, it's so obvious. Like, uh, like, ah! Like, he's just <laughs> – Yeah, yeah. He's very uh, all over the place, right? His his energy is a little manic. And I bet he has this, like, whole buildup in his head. But when Lily goes to the kitchen, that's where Marshall proposes. And uh, Ted did say, do not have sex on the kitchen floor, but, but – 
they don't listen. <laughs> they do the very thing he told them not to do. And uh, he also, you know, after they have sex, they he had some champagne for the occasion. And, uh, you know, he's not good at it. But you know what? Today's a new day. This is a new marshal. He's an engaged marshal. So he tries to pop the cork and hits her and hits Lily right in the eye. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't actually see it. You see Marshall's reaction to it. And then, of course, later we'll see the consequence of that. I also like the one joke that after they uh, get they 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 sit up after doing it on the kitchen floor. Lily says, uh, by the way, there's a pop tart under your fridge. And uh, Marshall's like, oh, I didn't know, but did. So like, (laughs) there's a nice sort of uh, immaturity from the Marshall character. He seems to be almost like. like a kid at heart oh yeah you'll get like fascination like carter and craig are like you know the d- d- child of star wars indiana jones like if ted finds like ted kind of at one point lets the archaeologist like you're indiana jones he's like i am indiana jones like it, it, like they're adults they're i get for lack of a better word adulting but they're still like that inner kid coming out at times for better yeah. for worse and it's sweet because they, they both have that inner kid energy, I want to say. Like, obviously, they make a great couple and they have a very similar sense of, of humor and, you know, they bring out uh, that energy from each other. But uh, in, in terms of archetypes, too, you know, if, if Barney is the one night stand guy, Ted is the hopeless romantic, then you have Marshall and Lily. They're the archetype of just that that really perfect couple that um, have always been together for a long time. And they're like, I'm sure they'll also have their ups and downs, uh, you know, it, especially cause there's nine seasons ahead and there's a lot to mine, you know, like if, I think that's um, anytime you see a, a, a show and in the beginning, there's a couple that's already, you know, it's like, Oh, they're already together. Then the show either is planning on them to eventually break up or just to put them through the ringer. Uh, reasonable ringer like it doesn't it never goes like too insane i would say the only drawback is like you can clearly see that like by the ninth season jason siegel is so ready to he's ready to move on and it's obvious uh but like yeah no lillian marshall just feel like it feels real yeah they're like that really sweet couple that you know they're not so lovey-dovey that it Oh no! People they, the wrong way. No, they they get they they go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I didn't get that in this first episode, but uh, like I said, you have your archetypes there, you know, and this is this is that that couple, the sweethearts. Meanwhile, back to Ted at McLaren's, and he's talking to Yasmin, and he is he is a hopeless romantic. He, he he's imagining his own wedding. He's imagining his own like you know future with somebody, and that's I even I made a note like the charm, charm is. Front and center. If you're not taken by this, then this is not really a show for you. But if you are, it's like this is a very good pilot. I'll well, yeah, Ted that. is Ted is sweet too. You know, he, he's even poking fun at himself, right? And uh, you know, this girl Yasmin is nice enough to at least, uh, you know, um, go along with it. And you know, she doesn't give him a hard time about it either. Although this, yeah, you know, I, I, I maybe Ted reads into her. Uh, you know, she, he's he's reading the wrong signals from her, as we'll find out. Well, yeah, it turns out that she's dating uh, Carl, the bartender. Who, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, she's like, oh, because Ted's like, oh, do you want to get a drink sometime? She's like, no, it's Carl's. Uh, what's the name of the guy? Carl. Carl's my boyfriend. And uh, yeah, that kind of 
takes the steam out of Ted a bit, right? He, this seems to be almost like a regular occurrence for Ted where he meets a nice girl, he thinks there's some chemistry only for it just not to work out. And uh you know, he's he's ready to go back. He, like he, Ted is ready. Where is this girl? And right across the bar in a very green sh- uh shirt, he makes eye contact with Robin Trubatsky. It was like something from an old movie, where the sailor sees the girl across the crowded dance floor, turns to his buddy, and says, See that girl? I'm going to marry her someday. Hey, Barney. See that girl? Oh, yeah. You just know she likes it dirty. (laughs) Go say hi. I can't just go say hi. I need a plan. I'm going to wait until she goes to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and I'll strategically place myself by the jukebox. Hi, have you met Ted? that's a big moment for the whole series i think right it's it's like there's the girl right and it's our it's this is the moment too like we were alluding to before you know this is the first time he sees her is the first time we're seeing her and it it's framed in a way that does feel almost like cupid's arrow and i kind of find it funny that like it it is a sitcom but it's like shot in a way that you can't like there's no fourth wall like you can see the bar wall in the back it's i just saw it but uh, it is kind of reminiscent of like love at first sight. Does this exist? Is this how this is how I met your mother, kids? Well, it's it's definitely framed in a way from how Ted perceives it, right? Like Ted would in his mind see this as a potential love at first sight. He's definitely stricken with her, uh, and there's even even the way that the the scene is shot. There's almost like a hazy glow to it. Not just this exactly. This, not just from this being a memory, but also it's idealized. So yeah, it, it, again, being that the, it's an unreliable narrator, um, you know, he's really painting a picture here that this is almost like it's meant to be right. Like maybe it wasn't as seamless of uh, a meeting that he's making it out to be, but you know, he's our only source here. So we'll have to just take his word for it. And the more the show becomes, comes into its own, we'll see like, you know, you'll hear Bob Saget go, I saw it this way, but uh, Robin saw it. Like it plays with like perspective. Yeah. Which is smart. I mean, narration can be used in so many different ways and yeah, we've seen it used a few different ways so far, but this is just taking it in in another direction. There's always a lot of potential there. So uh, I think we'll go back to Marshall and Lily. Uh, and there, you know, of course, Lily, her eye has been basically punctured. And uh, she they're on the way to the hospital. And basically, you know, hey, did you hit her? The, 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 the cab driver's like, no. Marshall, you find out, like, Marshall is a giant teddy bear. And Lily is the one that kind of, same thing with Willow. Like, just is, re- like, she's kind of dirty. She's she's got an edge to her, which is surprising because she seems so sweet at first. And you know, the, I think the way to end uh, the joke that ends the scene is like the cab driver is just a little nosy about these spankings and uh, all this yeah. other stuff. Well, uh, you know, they brought it up, right? They, yeah. They're the ones who mentioned it, so he, he might be thinking like, "All right, we're going down this road of conversation." You know, he's uh, they 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 basically opened um, Pandora's, Pandora's box, box here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Ted is enamored by this woman who's staring back at him and smiling. And, you know, he makes him like, 
Barney, do you see this girl? And Barney, of course, ruins it. Like, yeah, you know she likes it rough. <laughs> like, the yeah, what? like does she? <laughs> from from that look, he's he's, he's pretty. He probably thinks that about every girl. <laughs> but yeah, he he doesn't think that this is like he has he has no interest in like Ted's like like romantic prospects in that way. But you know, Ted's overthinking it. Like, what do I do? And of course, there's nothing better than have you met Ted. And this is how we meet Robin. Yeah, I get it. It's so seamless of a way to introduce two people. It's so quick. And, you know, then we also get a little bit of Robin's playfulness, too. Like, oh, let me guess. Ted. Yeah, she's willing to play along. Like, uh, And, uh, you know, it's nice to know that uh, we get a feel of her job. She's a reporter. She's at, like, the basic level of, like, public access, like Metro News 1 doing, like, a feel good whatever kind of stories uh yeah i think she just she like comes up with the example that's like uh a monkey playing the bongos or something you know, she'll cover these these fluff pieces which you know i i i think in terms of rom-com cliches i've seen some of these jobs or professions with rom-com characters before like you know the architect or the news reporter or some sort of job in media right it's just um yeah, it's it, it's familiar, but I think that's again they're, they're tapping into the genre on purpose. It one big plus that I, you just made me realize, like this show does a very good job at like really diving into the jobs of these people. Like we like there are plot like uh, Brian Cranston, and if you think of the year, this is like after Malcolm, before Breaking Brad. Brian Cranston uh. is uh, Ted's boss, like. It, it's a big deal for Ted to have his first building. It's uh, Robin getting promotion, promotion, like, you know, kind of rising in the ranks as, you know, from doing those side stories to being a news anchor. Uh, Marshall graduated, because, like, trying to figure out what kind of lawyer he wants to be. And maybe settling, he wants to be an environmental lawyer, but, like, you know, settling for a corporate job. Lily has always kind of remained consistent, but I think it goes, I'm putting her in that Marshall camp. Barney is that corporate, you know, him and Marshall end up working together on a joint project. It's very, he has that lavish apartment and lifestyle to. Yeah. You know, I think it's smart that Marshall starts to show in law school because, you know, like uh, I would imagine season three is when he has graduated and is now, you know, starting out in, in the workforce or something, you know, it's roughly. Roughly, the, I just finished something to that effect. Where like, like, okay, like he's in school now, and then like a few seasons in, he'll, uh, you know, that that'll be like his the next step of his arc, right? We'll get there eventually. Like he does internships. I think the not to go too into it, but like John Cho plays like the head of a, he's like, of a evil corporate. It's like, hey, I understand you want to be a corporate lawyer, and he's trying to seduce him in in the way that like Barney seduces women, and but. uh Lily has some debt and, you know, do you go for the evil corporate well-paying job or do you go for the nonprofit? It, That's it, a good question. It, it really does tackle like those adult things in such a funny manner. But no, it's it, they really lean into a lot of this stuff, especially with those three, the architect, the news reporter and the lawyer. Well, you know, to that effect, too, the choice that Marshall has to make with his career, I think. I, I'm starting to now get a feeling that this show is really tackling the the um, the concept of idealization. You know, like do you want that ideal relationship, that ideal job? You know, like how much do you stick to your you know 
your your younger aspirations and as you get older how well, how much more willing do you get to compromise on those ideals and and those values so um it's like you know part of growing up obviously yeah. but you know that's where we are the characters are in their um their mid to late 20s and they're you can tell they're all on the precipice of you know either you know staying in almost perpetual young adulthood or you know needing to to move on to the next phases of their lives so the reason that robin is there at mclaren's is that she's out with friends who just got dumped and they're giving ted the evil eye so ted being the nice guy says like hey you could throw that drink in my face but he asks her out and he's like how about uh you know this night she's like because of robin's job she has to travel for work so why don't we just make it tomorrow night and you know we got a date and so the happiest of Ted's gets a drink thrown into his uh, face. Yeah, I think that's almost too nice. Uh, I, I get that he just wants to let her play along, and that's maybe um, a cute little way of letting her have some fun, but that's still embarrassing. Even if it's something between the two of them that it wasn't for real, everyone else will think it's for real, and you just basically – uh, embarrass um, yourself yeah yeah that, that that's he's subjecting himself to this humiliation and of course even barney comes along and laughs but now you also have a drink in your face and you're covered in booze so i i don't know like ted is a nice guy but he's too nice and i would hope that part of his arc as well is maybe learning to stand up for himself a little better and um you know, not be such a pushover he he does for the most part i think he kind of falls into flanderization in the later seasons but uh yeah he you know, he may be too nice. He may have a drink thrown in his face, but he has a number. And, of course, Barney comes in and goes, D, wait for it. Another – our third catchphrase from the show, Nied. And you know, Oh, wow. That's a catchphrase too? D, wait for it, Nied? No, I, I, no uh, usually legend, wait for it, Dairy. Like, oh, oh, I see what you mean, like dividing up the word. Okay, okay. That's uh... – a. That's a fun thing, too. I guess Barney gets the lion's share of catchphrases. And he's upset that, you know, Ted, we had laser tag. He's like, I was never going to go on do laser tag with you. Uh, I guess and then to that effect, too, Barney perhaps is maybe the most childlike of all the characters because he's like the least willing to make um, an adult-like commitment. And then he wants to do like, you know, laser tag and stuff. And he makes these immature jokes, which, by the way, laser tag is a lot of fun. <laughs> Ted is missing out. Uh, I know this is a long shot, but how about tomorrow night? Yeah. What the hell? <clears throat> Jerk! That was fun. <laughs> D. Wait for it. Denied! Denied! <laughs> we're going out tomorrow night. I thought we were playing laser tag tomorrow night. Yeah, I was never gonna go play laser tag. Now, we get another act break, which kind of happens really quickly, but I think the next chunk of the show is, like, the the meat. Uh, now, this is our first taste of, like, storytelling within storytelling. Like, the this is basically... We're kind of ha- hearing Ted tell the story to Barney, Marshall, and Lily about the date. Yeah, it's interesting the structure of this sequence because keep in mind this whole show is a flashback in and of itself from the you know twenty thirty flashing back to two thousand five. Now within that, we're getting a flashback 
of the date, right? Like it starts out that we we're seeing the date as it begins, but for most of this, we're seeing it unfold as Ted is describing it to Marshall and Lily. And this is where that editing comes in and it's done in a way that obviously you can have a real life studio audience. So that's, that's interesting. They're kind of, it's like a narration within a narration. It's, it's um, a, a little more conception. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few layers here. And I, when you watch it, it doesn't really feel that complicated, but I'm sure from a writing perspective and even from um you know, an editing perspective, there is a, a, a little more to this. I think that's what made people stick around because I it, it's so unique at the uh, for the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the it does start, Ted's talking about his date with Robin and it's at a very nice restaurant and there's a blue French horn on the wall. That's probably the sim, one of the symbols for the show, that blue French horn that uh, uh, Robin says looks like a, uh, oh no, uh, Ted says that, it reminds him of a Smurf penis. and oh, Right. He sort uh, of just blurts that out, right? I think it's one of those things where he says it and then immediately wished he thought of what he was saying first, right? It's like um, sort of a bizarre thing to say. But it turns out to be a win because Robin laughs. And we find out this girl is awesome. Now, as he's telling the story, Lily, of course, is wearing a eye patch because of her injury. But, yeah, we find out, like, Robin is perfect. She... Ted loves dogs. She has five dogs. That's Ted- insane that she has five dogs. She is a single woman living in a Brooklyn apartment, and she has five dogs, and she travels for her job. That's, you know, that that is um, just impractical, I declare. There actually is a reason why she has five dogs, but uh, that's explained okay. later on. Uh, but Ted loves scotch. She loves scotch. And, of course she does, and uh, she can quote Ghostbusters. And she does like she does like the line like you know when Ray like she's even doing like the uh, accent. Yeah. She's impersonating the character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost seems like she's almost like too good to be true. Exactly. And this this show also starts in the same way that Seinfeld created some like oh man hands or uh, yada yada yada. This kind of creates its own theories or like ideas about dating, and we get our first one, the olive theory. Uh, a couple was kind of perfect together. If one loves olives and one hates olives, everything's balanced. The Thanos way, <laughs> everything's balanced. Um, <laughs> when but, half the universe is erased, then that's yeah. perfect. That that's a recipe for a perfect relationship. But no, that like. Uh, Robin doesn't like olives and Ted loves olives the same way that uh, it's kind of reminiscent of Lily and Marshall's first date where Marshall doesn't like olives and Lily loves them. Supposedly. So, uh, so, uh, you know, she invites him over and, uh, you know, Ted is, you know, so close to home or uh, to her home. And that's when (laughs) as if the gods, the writing gods aligned a news crew arrives in front of her apartment and tells Robin that they have a story of a jumper basically like, and you need to, you need to, we need you right now. Yeah. This is her chance, a possible big break in her career. And, uh, people are wondering, did he kiss her? And, uh, like, no, Ted, Ted, <laughs> Ted, Ted did not kiss her. It wasn't right. It wasn't the moment. He didn't get the signal or, you know, he just, or it, I, I guess that comes later, but, that um you know that's it, it's interesting like you don't actually see them part ways 
right? Like the scene kind of ends before you actually see it play out. You only ha have Ted's word as he's relaying it to Marshall and Lily uh, to, to understand how the, that, inter that date finished. So that, that's interesting that the show will only present so much to you and a lot of other times you kind of have to just rely on what Ted is, is recalling. So, um, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I feel like so many other shows, but let it play out. So, uh, Robin leaves and he calls up Barney who's playing laser tag. And I, Neil Patrick Harris said this was the audition scene. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I guess like, you know, it's a sort of, out of context, you can do it, and you bring the sort of Barney energy. Exactly. Uh, and, of course, suit up, Ted. Of course, Ted does not suit up. Um, right. And, you know, he's talking about it, and this is where we kind of hear, like, the idea of the signal. Like, 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 you don't need – she was giving the signal. But then Ted, Ted insists she wasn't, like uh, – and you know Barney kisses Marshall, and, and like I, I didn't give the signal. I swear. Oh yeah, I, see now that is what I'm talking about with Jason Siegel's sometimes like um, I don't know like unexpected performances, right? Like when when he is so genuine trying to tell Lily that he was not giving Barney the signal. Like I swear, I swear I wasn't giving him the signal. Like he is like genuinely worried <laughs> that Lily might get upset with him over this, which of course she doesn't, but. You know, that, that sort of like over dramatic delivery of that line is, I think, probably um, one of the biggest laughs I had this this pilot episode. So Ted's like, you know, I'll kiss her when she gets back. And, you know, that's basically six years in girl. Like, you know, it's a she'll forget a, a about year, Ted. a year in hot girl time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, they see her on TV. And the guy did not jump. And that inspires Ted to be like, you know what? I'm going to kiss her right now. And Well, you know, I think I now that you the way you said that, you know, the suicide jumper did not jump. Just like Ted did not take the leap into kissing her. Now, of course, it's good that the suicide jumper did not jump, but it was bad that Ted didn't, you know, go for that that leap into kissing her. I guess that that was intentional, but it's interesting, you know, that he um that now now he's getting some some um, confidence to try to yeah you know, a second chance a second shot at at making that leap it, like this is it this is how I met your mother kids so Barney is like Ted you got to suit up so they all they all come into the taxi with him Ted's in a suit and he does like he does grow a pair he steals the blue French horn for Robin yeah that's crazy he just sort of runs in there and quickly just gets up on a chair, takes it off the wall, runs out as a waiter's like, Hey, you get back here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he gets into the cab and he's like, drive, drive, drive. So that's, um, that's a nice story. Although, you know, we here at take us to the pilot do not encourage any of our listeners to steal blue French horns from any restaurant. Blue tubas if you can, but not blue French horns. What does he say? Like a uh, green clarinet <laughs> or uh, a purple tuba. Uh, so we come back from the act break and the taxi pulls right in front of her place and they wish Ted good luck and to remember this night. Like, you know, Marshall, 
you're going to be my best man and you're going to tell this story. And Barney, of course, is like, no, I'm your best man, Ted. Ted, I'm your best. Like Barney, Barney, like it's I forgot to mention that he has a blog. Like, he is that eternal bachelor. But Barney is also adamant about being Ted's best friend, despite the fact that they have been friends for a much shorter time than he has with Marshall. But you know, it's interesting. Barney has um i don't know like a real attachment to ted which i would be interested in in seeing as to why right because he he like helps out he's almost like ted's um i don't say like fairy godmother or something but you know he's such he's such like a helpful friend and all he seems like really devoted to this guy in a way that uh, i kind of want to understand more you know ted rings the doorbell and of course he forgets about the dogs <laughs> yeah like you get just like a bunch of barking as soon as he rings the bell but uh you know uh robin puts her head out ted and in another famous shot from the pilot the same uh you know ted lifts the blue french horn for her and uh wh why don't you come on up and uh you know we're gonna focus on the gang what the gang is up to for uh just for a moment uh this is where we first meet a recurring character, and I don't think they were ever expecting this Ranjit, the taxi driver, to be a recurring character. Oh, he, he is recurring? He I is not there expect for that. all the important moments. Wow. Hello. That, is, that is very surprising because I thought it was just kind of a funny gag that he's sort of um, getting involved with this group in terms of their conversations and their uh, – you know, this just and, and we'll see him at the end at the bar too. That's sort of unexpected, but wow, I, I had I had no idea that this was a character who was in it for the long haul. Yeah, he's it's kind of fun. Like they bring him in at the right moments. He's not like always there, but they always know when to bring him in. Oh, uh, very cool. But uh, Barney is like, wait a minute, Marshall. So tell me about this olive theory. And you know, Marshall hates olives and. He, uh, Lily loves him. He's like, wait a minute. Two weeks ago, I saw you eat a bowl of olives. But what and, up? And uh, <laughs> it turns out Marshall loves olives. And he kind of botched their first date with Lily in the whole olive situation. And it turns out the olive theory is just completely whack. And Barney is kind of like, do not. He kind of tells Marshall not to get married. Yeah. You know, I think that as, as much as. Barney has been giving, you know, good help to Ted. This is like maybe not the nice thing to say. And you know, what? I also you can also get a sense that Lily is not crazy about Barney. Barney is okay. It is a jerk thing to do, but I think the more we get to know Barney, Barney is just kind of you know he doesn't want his friends to leave him behind. Right. That's, right. He wants to keep this dynamic going as exactly. long as possible. And uh, Marshall gives this very impassioned speech. It's just like I. I love this girl and I'm going to, I am going to marry her. And, uh, Lily at this point, she stepped outside, I believe to use the bathroom and, uh, she hears all of this. And Marshall's like, Lily, I love olives. And she said, oh, we'll make it work. See, I love it. I love it. I like that a lot because I feel like some other sitcoms, if it was like, like, a not a pilot episode, but like just a different episode, I feel like other uh, other shows would have made a bigger deal out of this sort of reveal where like, uh, oh, my gosh, she always thought I hated olives and that gets maybe revealed in an inopportune way. And then like she would freak out about it like, well, our whole basis of this relationship is this olive theory. And if you actually love olives and maybe 
da 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 like you know I, some other sitcoms might have made a bigger deal out of it and the fact that lily is like yeah it doesn't matter you know like obviously that's that that is just uh silly of course it doesn't matter i i, I think that's a, a mature decision on the writers to, to just say like yeah it's just you know it's silly you know the characters have grown since that supposed theory was conceived back in college and uh, the reason that Ted was able to work his way into Robin's apartment was she said, like, oh, I don't like olives, but I have some olives in my uh, refrigerator if you want to finish it. And, you know, the whole gesture is just very romantic. She invites him up and, uh, you know, she offers him a nightcap. It's like you drove out this all this. She lives out in Brooklyn. I always kind of forget that because it's kind of that same sitcom street on, on like a lot right somewhere. it's probably like the warner brothers lot or something yeah and uh you know ends up with them slowly dancing with each other and uh this is where ted tells robin i think i'm in love with you yeah i actually gasped when that happened what I can't the last time what? i cannot remember the last time i gasped really? watching a show but yeah, the cadence of that exchange, you know, they're dancing, they're getting very like, uh, I don't know, flirty and hushed voice. And it's like, oh, I like your nose. I like this. I like that. And then he says, I think I'm in love with you. And, you know, at that point, I actually was getting I was very invested as a viewer already. So I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> like, don't say that. And then, of course, you get that very quick edit. I of, love it. This is great. Like you get like a retelling of a retelling like it's and i think that's a big moment for this pilot in terms of capturing how the story has been told and retold right told immediately afterwards to the rest of the friend group but then told years later to the kids about how ted said i love you to robin so quickly and everyone has the same reaction like what how could you say that and they even say it in the moment robin has the same reaction that everyone else eventually would so yeah it's like I a, think, the rule of three kind of robin yeah, the gang and then the kids it's kind of like you zoom out like yeah. further and further back uh forward in time so i i think that is like one of the bigger payoffs of this first episode is playing with that editing in a way and now, you know, we've set all of these layers up. And in that one moment is uh, basically the show saying, like, this is how we're going to reward you with what we're setting up with the structure of the show is when everything comes together in different timelines. And so um, that's that's very like I, that that sold me in that moment. Like, oh, OK, I see what this show does differently than so many other sitcoms. So it's awkward. It's awkward for both. Oh, yeah. It's like it almost makes you want to fast forward through the rest of this scene. It's so awkward. And uh, Ted kind of makes it work because he keeps saying it. He's like, I love you. Like, it's just he he's tripping over himself. The second time he says it, I think she should have just like shook him or something like stop. (laughs) Like, you you, you need some help or something. But she's actually very sweet about it. Like she uh, she ends up giving him the jar of olives and uh, Ted. Ted thinks it's best for himself to leave. And uh, every his friend, the taxi, left because they think Ted's been up there for 20 minutes. He's definitely doing it. Um, right. He, he just missed them, right? The second they yeah, leave, basically. a second later, he walks out the door dejected. And, uh, you know, he, he does the, please don't tell your friends I'm a psycho. I'm just more of a, like, a this. And, you know, she plays, she plays a lot. Like, the fact that she's still 
kind of smiling after this weird moment. There she's is nice. something. She's, she's, she's very nice. Much nicer than a lot of other people would be. And she points uh, Ted in the direction of the subway and takes a few steps and he gives turns around and says, wait a minute. I just He kind of lays himself on the table and he's done being signal, uh, single and he knows he would make a damn good husband. And if a girl's willing to put up with that, they could put up with the rest of their lives together. And uh, kind of like the same thing with Lily and Marshall. Robin just ends with like, good night, Ted. And she, well, gives they, him, she gives him a handshake. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're handshaking, but then she's giving him a look, you know. And even before the other characters say to Ted that that was the signal, you as a viewer are like, oh, there it is. There yeah, is the that signal. That was the signal. Even Ranjit who has joined the group for a nightcap at uh, McLaren's is saying that was the signal, dude. It was clear to everyone. And Ted is like, it wasn't, it wasn't the signal. And he's in denial basically. And wow, man, for, for a character twice, he blew it right. Twice in one episode, he, he totally blows it. And, uh, you know, that's, it can be a little frustrating when you're watching it as a viewer. It's like, come on, man. Like, you know, what, what are you waiting for? An invitation? And uh, as they toast to the future, uh, we hear future Ted talk about, like, he'll give a lot. Of, not all these episodes will end this way, but. Uh, well, real quick, though, oh, like uh, one other payoff too. Uh, Marshall opens a bottle oh, of champagne. Yes, yes, I totally forgot about that. Yes. It, Everyone has an arc. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, Even within this one episode, like, okay, like Marshall's no longer afraid yeah. of opening champagne. He's not going to injure Lily anymore. Like, he's able to open it just fine. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, not not every episode ends this way, but the pilot especially needed to. It ends with future Ted talking about destiny and how sometimes we're too close to the puzzle to really see the big picture, and. He goes like, kids, you're about to take a great journey because that's this is how I met your Aunt Robin. This isn't the mother. What? They're saying like, I thought this is how you met our mother. And uh, no, it's I He kind of like, you know, to add more to it. This is important to meeting the mother because Aunt Robin, you know, is an important part in their lives. But, you know, you got to stay tight. It's going to be a long story. Yeah, yeah, that's the last line of the pilot. It's a long story. Uh, nine seasons, to be exact, but it's a long story. And that is the end. So there you have it, the pilot of How I Met Your Mother. I asked her about it years later, and yeah, that was the signal. I could have kissed her. But that's the funny thing about destiny. It happens whether you plan it or not. I mean, I never thought I'd see that girl again. But it turns out I was just too close to the puzzle to see the picture that was forming. Because that, kids is the true story of how I met your Aunt Robin. Aunt Robin? I thought this was how you met Mom. Will you relax? I'm getting to it. Like I said, it's a long story. I even got chills even just like revisiting some of the moments and just like it knows how to get that right emotion from you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that you feel really good at the end of this episode and I got to say, like, the more we talk about it, the more I'm being more convinced to continue with it. Uh, I'm not sure in what capacity. Maybe I'll just watch a few more and see if I'm sold. But, you know, I think that the show is almost like deceivingly like there's more than meets the eye. 
And I, I mean that from like a writing perspective, from a structural perspective. And then of course, with each of these characters, there's, there's more than meets the eyes. It's, especially like with Robin and Barney, I think are um, definitely the two characters that I feel like have the most, um, uh, the most intrigue that yeah. I want to get to know more. No. And uh, they, they will go places. Uh, they will go places both comically and emotionally. And like, I know it's hard to, it's, interesting to say with barney but yeah barney uh there's a reasons why he was nominated i don't think this show got a lot of like this show was competing against other shows so it never really got like the love that it was due but at least neil patrick harris was nominated for supporting actor and rightly yeah. so well i think he was always the breakout character or maybe yeah. the face of the show just i think for a few reasons one he might have been the most um he was the he was maybe like the most recognizable actor like people would have remembered him from doogie hauser whereas um you know the other characters were mostly um i mean allison like allison hannigan was also known for buffy but i think neil patrick harris is both the breakout character and also he's just like such a professional too not to say the other actors aren't but i feel like neil patrick harris is just one of these actors that like everyone is excited to see whenever he pops up in something, you know, if he's hosting one of the best hosts, one of the best hosts for anything, I would say like, uh, like I still kind of go back and rewatch like his Tony award. Uh, but I, th he just has that. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if he had it in Doogie house or he must have, cause he was cast, but he definitely, his like second wind allowed so much, so many doors to open for him and he owes the show like th i'm so happy he found this show well you know the show owes him as well because he was a big part of the success uh the one thing too i i know that he's i think his latest project which he was the host for is this uh hulu drag competition called drag me to dinner and you know he's, he's very funny in that but he's i know he's very also involved in that whole world of like you know um drag queens and I, he, I believe he's appeared on rupaul's drag race many many times i think so he's a yeah. big like icon in terms of like lgbt media um i don't think he was out yet in the beginning too i'm not sure either and of course that's one of the bigger ironies of the show production wise is that here's a character that's known for being such like a ladies man and for sleeping with so many different women but alas it's played by a gay man. It's sort of like the reverse of Will and Grace in a way, uh, if you think about it. And uh, Dave, oh, I can't remember. His, uh, his husband, uh, they really do honor the, the spouses of the show. Both Allison Hannigan and Neil Patrick Harris's uh, husbands appear in this show as characters. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if I've seen um, the actor who plays Ted – he was i think they um josh in, radner i don't think i know him from really anything else though i think he went into theater more but i okay. did i know during like the this is us like we need other shows like this is us he came i remember they were promoting a show with him as the lead like he was a teacher a music teacher or a drama teacher in a school and i'm like hey it's ted oh okay okay yeah, it makes sense he would probably be like in a lot of guest spots or you know recurring spots um so, you know, here we have, just in our retrospective review, uh, you know, this is, this is, again, a show that's really combining elements of 
uh, you know, older sitcoms and newer sitcoms. And, you know, I, I think that really speaks for when the show comes out, right? 2005, really right in the smack dab middle of the decade when, uh, you know, I think there are other traditional sitcoms that were still very popular, but obviously audiences had become very open to different kinds of formats. Um, although, you know, nowadays I think sitcoms have um, reverted back to that studio audience feel just because the network's, are just um, either bringing back old shows or just relying on, you know, what had worked 30, 40 years ago. But they're not that even you were noting because you're not you're not an avid watcher like I was with this show. It's you were noting those like the moments that make this show special, especially with how it told its story. And maybe it's like in the title itself, like how I met your mother. But you don't see that now with like current multicam sitcoms. It's just kind of. I feel like there's not as much thought lost in an era. Yeah. I I think this show clearly had a lot of thought put into it and how they wanted to play around with nostalgia and recalling a story and idealizing a story and, you know, what they want to bring to the characters and their, their growth and maturity. I think so many sitcoms nowadays just seem to be more surface level. And here I think that, you know, one, I do really like that the actors had a big influence on the personality of their characters, right? A lot of them, the writers uh, incorporated the the actors' personalities into the characters, which yeah. I think is really nice. And uh, I don't know. I, I just I feel like there was a real mission for this show. It's not just How I Met Your Mother. Obviously, that's like the title. But I think also that they really had a strong idea of where they wanted to bring all the characters and how they wanted to present all those stories. It was yes. like a very specific vision. And that's that's unique. It's just the other shows we've talked about so far in the 2000s all have a very specific and unique vision. You know, Malcolm in the Middle, Arrested Development, The Office, you know, they all um, have a very unique perspective and I don't know if that's really something you get as much anymore, unfortunately. And, you know, I think down the line we'll talk about other kinds of 2000 shows, you know, dramas, um, even like big action 2000 shows. And I feel like 2000s was really an interesting crossroads for broadcast television in terms of being able to still command huge ratings, but also being willing to try different things with much better production value. Yes. And I think in terms of comedies, How I Met Your Mother is a good example of all those things. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a step in the direction. Like, I would say, yeah, you're right about like where sitcoms are in the 2000s. And then like maybe in that 2010s, sitcoms kind of went two different ways. They like went into very generic middle ground territory or like groundbreaking dramedies yeah then you're just blurring the line completely between yeah. the genres and then are then things also becoming just more popular on the cable networks and then and so forth on the streaming networks and you know what what even is funny now or what what resonates with people now is so different even from 20 years ago uh but you know i think back then it's it's interesting that it was able to be so broad it, it had a broad appeal, but with, um, you know, a very unique voice. I think and, it did uh, capture that youth, that youth vote, that youth demographic 
because I know some friends who watched it and you like it's probably the only CBS show that they did watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you think about other CBS shows, which again usually are more appealing to older audiences, but um, it 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 really is still something that has a huge audience and people are still fans of at least again for a good chunk of the run, even if they they're not crazy about the ending. And um, I could see why watching this, I can see why this was so special for so many people. So there you have it. How I met your mother. I, this did have um, one. It's one of the many shows that was brought back as like a play on the title. So there was how I met your father that came out on Hulu a couple years ago. It's kind of like how there was girl meets world or fuller house, right? Like they were bringing back sitcoms, but sort of like, I don't know, like changing the title slightly to make it seem a little different. I heard How I Met Your Father. I did watch a couple episodes, and it it's so hard with streaming because you don't know how, like, it's – I used to think with, like, a network show, it's like, oh, a network show today, it's like, oh, man, if I get invested in this, I'm going to get heartbroken. I think it's, streaming yeah. now feels that way because How I Met Your Father is canceled after, like, yeah. two seasons. But I we heard it was starting know. to find itself. I heard it was really starting to find itself, which is such a shame. One of the major uh, casualties of the streaming wars is the longevity of programs. There is maybe um, just not as much patience from the platforms and even from linear television as well. They cancel things very quickly too because there's it's just so much more competitive and harder to capture um, a, a large enough audience to be considered successful. And back then, again, like the the there was more freedom, at least in the two thousands, where you had you know, just by virtue of being a broadcast network, you had a big enough audience. Even like the lowest rated shows still had like five six million people per per episode, right? Like that would be considered uh, like a huge success nowadays, right? Uh, but back then, you at least still had um, the freedom to be like letting a show grow. And, and come into itself. Although I think this show uh, didn't need that much time at all to do that. But Seinfeld would be canceled. We would not. Yeah, be, yeah. Like, we we exactly. talked about that, but I think that is a big loss. And I like I don't have a problem with like eight season to or like ten season or ten episode seasons. But that's also like how I look at the show. I I would like eighteen episodes for a sitcom. I think Abbott Elementary is the closest thing. I have to like a modern day, really good sitcom. Right. And they have the, you know, will they, won't they romance from the yeah. beginning as well. Right. We'll some, talk about that. Some yeah. familiar elements, but again, it's, it still feels fresh. You know, there's, there's, there's ways to, to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, just continuing on now, moving forward with the uh, 2000 sitcoms, uh, I think another, maybe more traditional sitcom we'll discuss for next week uh, and you mentioned its creator, Chuck Lorre, uh, would be the show Two and a Half Men. Definitely a, a staple of the 2000s. Again, maybe a, a slightly different demographic that it appealed to than How I Met Your Mother. But uh, yeah, still a CBS show and still one that reigns supreme for, for many, many years. We'll so make that's... it fun to listen to. I know how <laughs> like I, I know how audiences, people feel about Two and a Half Men, but it it is like, for, for 
it ran for like 13 seasons. We have to talk about it. <laughs> a, re a really long time. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's one that will, you know, it's it's necessary for sure for this genre. So um, that's that's on the docket. That's next on the lineup. But until then, Keith, I'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.